we've been going through Leviticus 18 very slowly, very slowly with me and Bo. Uh, we just finished talking about the idea of uh, nudity uh, in the Bible. So as we go through Leviticus 18, it has that phrase, do not approach the nakedness of people. Um, and so we've been talking about what, what does that mean? Uh, how did God intend for us to be? And we did a two-part series on that. Uh, the last one we did in the main service, so I was just wondering, do any of you guys have any questions about that study that I did last week? Uh, it was really good. Launch into tonight. I listened online, and I thought it was great. Awesome. Man. I thought Peter did amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to it, and, and I was like, mic's cut out And everything ruined. <laughs> yeah. do you, guys you said any... the word naked, too, I think. I did. I said it a lot. I know. I said naked. I Do you think, think it's like breast. a Freudian thing? Yeah. <laughs> Is that why you said it a lot? Yeah, probably. Probably. Tongue. <laughs> naked. Every other word. Naked. 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 <laughs> it, was gr- it was great, though. or anything. <laughs> no, but you talked about vulnerability. Yeah. And, and you talked, um, it was really cool. You mentioned, um, like, um, about, you were talking about, like, you wouldn't want to walk around naked mm. because... You know, there's things that you think about yourself. You have a weird view of yourself. Right. And that that's an issue. Yeah. Um, and then nudity, you know, it just carries that idea of vulnerability, too, with others. Right. Right. And that in the church, it's very difficult for us to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, we struggle with that. Yeah, especially in the church, right? Because the... The fear of judgment, the fear of uh, fear of condemnation is pretty heavy in the church culture, for sure. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little just bit. Just a little know. bit. Fear of people, yeah. um, you know, extra, uh, ostracizing you and stuff is pretty heavy here. So, do any of you guys have any questions about that study, or you guys good to move on? All right, let's move on. So, if you have your Bibles, we're in Leviticus 18. We're still in this section. We got a couple cool things that we're going to talk about tonight. Some interesting things. Um, if, if you're there, we're going to be in verse 19. So this is after the section talking about incest. Now we're moving into some other sexual boundaries that God sets up for his people. And this one's like really interesting. We're probably, we may not leave this one tonight. Verse 19. We'll see how fast we get through it. It says, also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Okay, so there was a prohibition in the Old Testament that men were not allowed to have intimacy with their wives during the time of the wives' period. Right? That was something that was taboo. It wasn't allowed. Now, um, I'm not going to get into the study too much. Uh, if you want to do it on your own time, check out Leviticus 15, verse 24, and then also check out Leviticus 20, verse 18, and read through those on your own time and uh, see exactly what this is talking about. But essentially... The reason for this prohibition was when uh, a wife was in her customary impurity, and we talked about this when we went through Leviticus 15, when a woman was on her period, what couldn't she do? You guys remember? She couldn't go to the temple, right? She couldn't participate in temple worship. She couldn't sacrifice animals. She couldn't do any of the things that she needed to do before God, basically, Um, which was a huge, uh, huge bummer. Right, you couldn't do the things that you you needed to do in the temple, which which was definitely something that set you back. Beyond that, anything that touched you was also impure and couldn't go into the presence of God either. So the reason why this this prohibition is in is if I had intimacy with my wife who's impure, what would that make me? Impure. 
So that means I couldn't go into the temple either. And this is a this is a very interesting thing that God's setting up for his people. God is setting up gender roles in the marriage, right? Where the man was intended to be the leader of the household, right? And that includes the spiritual aspect, meaning that the man was intended to be the spiritual leader of the household. So why do you think it would be bad for the man to have intimacy with his wife and become impure? What would he not be able to do? He wouldn't be able to go to the temple, which, which is bad for the family. Why? Why is that bad for the family? He couldn't make sacrifices for the family. He couldn't take care of his wife's spiritual well-being. So it means that when the wife was on her uh, time of spiritual impurity, who was responsible for making sure that the sacrifices and things were done for the family as a whole? The husband, right? If she was on her time of impurity during a feast day, right, where all of Israel would be required to go to the temple to participate in the different feast day activities, um, the wife wouldn't be able to do that. So the husband was supposed to go in the place of the family. Do you guys understand that? He was supposed to represent the family before God. If the husband is, is having intimacy with his wife, it's relinquishing his responsibilities to take care of his family. Do you guys understand this? That's why it's no longer something that we practice in the New Covenant because there is no such thing as spiritual impurity before God anymore because who has made us completely pure? Jesus, right? You cannot be in a state of impurity as a Christian anymore because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's why when you go into Leviticus 20, verse 18, and Leviticus 15, verse 24, the punishment for someone who did this was not death, it was ostracizing, meaning that the people separation. were separation. They weren't allowed to commingle with the people of Israel. They were kind of put outside the camp if you practice this. Um, so that, that brings up, like I said, a very interesting topic of what we would call gender roles within the marriage. Now, now, Bo, do you have anything that's going on through your mind? On no, this I'm actually, I'm still on the other, the other, the, the discharge thing. The discharge. Yeah. <laughs> that's a heavy topic. Man. It is. It the is. discharge topic, man. That's a, that's a weird chapter. If any of you guys just want something fun to read in your Bible, just read Leviticus 15. Something yeah, fun. Yeah. And I would just, just remind everybody too, that when you're, when you're dealing with Leviticus, you're dealing with a system a theocracy, you're dealing with God saying, I, I am going to dwell physically with people, <clears throat> a nation. And so <clears throat> even though these laws seem really awkward to us, and to me, I read them, and to be honest, when I read the Bible in, the, in most of these sections, I just kind of go, this is the weirdest stuff ever. Um, <clears throat> because I'm not grown, I didn't grow up in it, so it's really odd material, you know? It's not stuff you really read about, you know? Um, it seems kind of weird. Uh, but the whole issue is one of defilement. It's one of defilement where God says that blood, there's something about blood that if it's not used properly, becomes defiling. And if I'm going to dwell with you, you need to pay attention to how I want you to deal with these matters, these issues. But it had to do with God physically coming in these these this cloud, if you will, and this glory in appearing in the tabernacle, physically, I mean, pretty radically. So the structure of, of, of Israel was all based around this idea of God physically dwelling with you as a sinner. And how is this, how is this separation going to be breached? 
How is there going to be some kind of covering for your sin? Um, how is God, a holy God, able to be with mankind? Right? How is that going to happen? And, and this is what kind of the Old Testament is, is, if you will, giving it the old college try. In, in a sense where it's saying, okay, God's going to call a people, and he's going to dwell with people, and he's going to give him his holiness, and he's going to say, I'm going to dwell, be there. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. And, and, and so there's this incredible tension um, and strictness to how the humans much must behave um, because it is a matter literally of life and death. And you get that kind of idea in the Old Testament that's literally a matter of life and death if you want God to hang with you. Now, God later on in, in, in the Old Testament will abandon, will say, okay, I'm out. And, um, and he no longer is with the people of Israel and, and they can do whatever they want. And God just, the messages of the prophets are just like, well, you're just going to be judged. That's going to be it. But God's left the building, you know. So until Christ comes on the scene, the Logos, right? Um, and then he does a transformation in, in, by, by his own blood. By, but it had to be pure blood, right? It had to be pure blood where a woman's blood is not pure, a man's blood is not pure. There's something defiling in it. Um, it's tainted. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's so you got to remember those things. Yeah, those are big. Those are the big things. Yeah, right? that, that's why it is the throughout the New Testament. That's why there is that heavy emphasis on the shedding of blood. Uh, there, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. Why did Jesus have to shed his blood? It's it's all to fulfill what we see in Leviticus. Now, um, to, to move into... Um, yeah, your gender. Move into the gender thing. Move into the gender. Um, now, if you go back in your... You don't have to flip there because most of us know the story, and I talked about it a little bit last week. In the beginning, when God created mankind, he started with just man, right? There was just, there was just man. There was just Adam. And he, it says that he brought to Adam all the animals so that he could find a helper comparable to him. And then after God sees that there is no helper comparable to him, he fashions Eve from his rib. So he brings a rib out of Adam and he fashions it into woman. And when you're going through the Bible, that it's like this great mystery of like, why is God doing this? Why is it so important that man has a helper comparable to him? And as you go through the Bible, you start to realize the reason why God does everything, right? God's motivation behind everything he does is to glorify himself right, is to show pieces in, of his nature and character qualities. So when he creates man and he creates woman, the reason why he does that is because God exists as a triune being, meaning that there are three separate persons that make up the, pers the, the being of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these persons are distinct from one another. They're different than one another. You guys following that? Okay, so when God creates woman... He makes her distinct from man, okay? But then he brings them back together, and he says the two become one. Are you guys following this? So the distinction between man and woman was created by God. He made us intentionally different 
so that we could reflect who? God, right? Now, not only does God have distinctions within his personhood, but the very interesting thing about God is he actually has distinctions in authority in his personhood. Do you guys get that? Meaning that even though God, even though Jesus is God and the Father is God, who submits to who? The Son submits to the Father. Okay, now that's, that's really interesting because even though Jesus has all the equality of the Father, he willingly submits to the will of the Father because you kind of have to. And, and this is what I mean by that. If God is to be omnipotent, this is just a, a weird theological thing. Most of you guys don't even worry about this. But I'm, I'm just good. For those of you guys who are thirsty for this kind of stuff, I'm, I'm saying it to you, okay? So when you have omnipotence, omnipotence can only exist. All power can only exist in one being. If two beings have all power, neither one of them actually has all power. Why? Because it's not all. Because they can cancel each other out. It's not all anymore. Right? The only way that someone could be all-powerful is if they alone have all the power. Do you guys get that? So the only way that three persons can exist in the Trinity and God can remain all-powerful is if there's a hierarchy in the Trinity. Do you guys get that? Where the Son and the Spirit submit to who? The Father. Right. That's the only way that God remains omnipotent. If the Son could do whatever he wants, if the Son's like, hey, that's great, Father, but I want to do this, God ceases to be omnipotent, and there becomes division in God, right? So when he creates, so those of you guys who checked out for that, come back in. All right, this is for everybody. All right, so when God creates woman, he creates hierarchy between man and woman. You guys understand this? And he does this to reflect his being, that the woman submits to man. That has nothing to do with the woman's ontology, Okay? Meaning, it has nothing to do with the woman's equality with man. You can't look at woman and say, woman is lesser than man because she submits. Because if you did that, that would mean that the son is lesser than who? The father, which is heresy. Right? The son is necessarily equal with the father, which means that woman is necessarily equal with man. Which is why God created or fashioned Eve from Adam. He did that to show the equality between man and woman. And this is what we believe as Christians. We believe that man and woman are, we use this word, complementarian. How many of you guys have heard that word before? Complementarian. Complementarian means that they're equal, but they're different. Okay, I always use the example, peanut butter and jelly. Right? Peanut butter isn't greater than jelly, but it is distinct from jelly. And when they come together... They're better, right? They're better than, as a whole, right, together. Okay, those of you guys who don't like PB&Js, I don't know what's wrong with you. But, you know, like, it's, it's there's no, <laughs> that's right, man. There's no, there's no equality. There's equality, but there's complementarianism. Now, in our culture, we don't believe in complementarianism. No way. Primarily. What we usually believe in our culture today is we believe in what's called egalitarianism. How many of you guys have heard that word in college? Egalitarianism means equal and the same. Equal and the same. Meaning that our culture believes that there's an interchangeability between man and woman. Right? That there really isn't a difference. Or to put it another way, there's nothing that a man can do that a woman can't do. And there's nothing that a woman can do that a man can't do. Do you guys understand that? In fact, a lot of people in our culture will use this, these words. They'll say that gender is fluid. And it's not binary, meaning that it's not something that's like binding to people. 
Uh, I think as of today, there's something like 36. No, I genders. think there's 54. 54. Okay, so I'm behind the times. Yeah. Yeah, there's 54 different genders. Um, if you guys want right to look now, them up on though, your own Right now, but time. I mean, give it a month, man. Because whenever anyone fluctuate. identifies as new gender, a new gender can be created. Yeah, like we can do it. We could do it. We can do a YouTube video where me and you talk about our new genders. We just create new genders. Yeah. Right. It could be cool. That's right. Because we could do it. You know, most people in our culture, where do they think gender came from? They think it's a cultural thing, right? So it means they think it's a societal construct that mankind, as we were developing societies, decided to just call certain people male and certain people female just based on biological things, but they never really took into account that people might feel different ways. So just because somebody has a penis, does that mean that they're necessarily male? You know, maybe they think that they're a... They're a woman, right? And that's okay, right? Because it's fluid. Or just because someone does not, like, has a vagina, does that mean that they're necessarily female? Yeah, get the giggles out. <laughs> supposed to be college, guys. <laughs> I am blushing. What are you saying? <laughs> hey, make sure you take this off the tape. I know. I got to edit that. I got to beep it. Beep. <laughs> You're not a man. Very <laughs> bad. Those are very, very bad words. <laughs> Very pr- I'm very proud of you in my heart, Peter. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, man. I could use other words. You could. <laughs> could use other words that would be even We could. That would. But it would probably, yeah, go on. <laughs> That's right. So we have this belief system that there, is, that there is a fluidity in gender, that basically your gender is distinguishable only by the way that you feel. Does yeah. that make sense? What you think. What you think. So you can, you can feel one way, and because you feel that way, that is reflective of your identity. So if I feel like a woman, that means that I can be if I want to be. I could identify that way if I desire. Or Which if is- I feel like I don't fall between man and woman, I could create a new gender identity, and that, that way I feel comfortable there. Which is really odd because if you're creating all these different identities, then you can't really identify with a woman because that would be a, a fallacy because what does a woman identify as? Right. Right? You're kind of you're, you're, you're tearing apart your argument right when you start doing that. Right, right? when you start saying, I, I identify as a woman. Well, what's, I, what's a woman identify as? Yeah. You can ask that question. Well, you know, why are you putting a woman in a box? Yeah. Well, I identify as a man. Well, what do you think a man identifies as? Yeah. Is there something specific to that? Uh. <laughs> yeah, so in order to tear down gender identity, you have to uphold it to a certain amount. You, know, you yeah. have to say that there is a distinction. You have, you have to say there is some kind of distinction or some kind of standard. So in saying there's no distinction or no standard, they actually defeat their whole argument. So they're, they're, they're trying desperately not to do that. <laughs> so, so by saying I identify as a woman, then obviously you, you are believing that a woman identifies in some way. Right. Or else you wouldn't say you identify as that. Right? It's kind of confusing when people say stuff go down to it now this is a this is a touchy subject today isn't it yes very very touchy subject today you know you guys who go to college you know just how touchy it is very very touchy to even talk about this um you could be considered a bigot right or or i dare any of you to put it on your facebook do something on your facebook right just 
And, I remember and it, I once just like I I said a comment about I think it was um, something about homosexuality, and this was like it was like a passing comment. It had nothing to do with anything. It just had the word homosexual in it. And my friends from California were just like messaging me privately, just like, "Bo, dude, are you like homophobic or what?" And I'm, and I'm like, "Dude, what are you talking about? I'm gay." Dude, I'm offended that you even think that that I'm straight, bro. And they're like, "Bo, are you joking with me?" <laughs> I'm like, "No, dude. I can identify however I want right now. Do you have a problem with sexual identity?" And they're like, "Dude, you're too crazy." And I went, "Okay, bye bye." But um. But yeah, it's just, it's, they did. They got on me. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and a lot of people are pushing to make this hate speech. The reason why they're pushing to make it hate speech is because there is a, and, and I talked about this when we started getting into this. The majority of people in our culture believe that the biggest problem facing mankind right now is um, shame or guilt or feeling bad about yourself. So basically, essentially what we're saying is that in order to avoid suicide, we just have to make every we have to affirm everybody in what they're doing. And if we if I even say something that might offend you or might call into question your decisions, I and you commit suicide, that makes it my fault, right? Which doesn't that seem like a hot button topic right now, like suicide and you know these type of things? Really big. Yeah. They, people want to make it that way. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it is. In, in, like, Canada, there has been cases where people have, um, even Jordan Peterson, the famous psychologist in Canada, um, you know, there's been lawsuits against Jordan Peterson for hate speech. Right, so that's Canada. Yeah. So in, in America, basically the rules are is that you cannot call for violence against somebody else. Um, and you can't call for the destruction of the government basically. So you can't like call for violence. Yes. Okay. So that, that is a, that you, you can't use your free speech to attack another person or to steal their freedom. That That's what they're trying to say. So that's yeah. what they're pushing for. Yeah. It basically comes in like it comes in politically through human rights. Um, you know, cause if it's a human right issue, right. That you can identify as, a, as you wish, then then if you don't call me how I'm identifying myself, then it is a human rights issue. And this is kind of what they did. This is what happened with Jordan Peterson in Canada. I mean, he, he's a professor of a, a prestigious college, you know, everything like that. Well, when he came out and said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, say these things. I'm not going to use the pronouns you want me to, to do. And they were like, well, that's hate speech. And that is a, that, that is a rights issue. You know, so my rights as a citizen. So, and he said, I don't care what, what it's called. You know, I have a right. He used free speech, meaning he said he used the free speech card to say, hey, I have free speech. Meaning of, I, I could say what I want. You know, you might say it's disrespectful. You might say whatever you think, but I should have the right, you know, to say what I want to say. It's just like if someone, like when I lived in Hawaii, when people said, when they called me um, a name, when I, because in Hawaii, if you're white, they they call you a Howie. And so whether you're, like there's kids that come up to you, they're like, "Hey, Howie," you know, or whether you go in a grocery store and there's an old lady at the register and she calls you Howie, and that means, "Hey, white person," right? "Hey, whitey," you know. 
Um, so that's what you're getting called all day long. Hey, Whitey. Hey, Whitey. Hey, Whitey. Hey, Whitey. Right? Um, that's like me saying, hey, dude, that's hate speech. You know? No, they have a right to call me what, what they want to call me. I might disagree with it. I might not like it. But they do have a right to say it. Right. Um, and that was Jor but that's Jordan. That's what Jordan Peterson's big thing was. Right. Right. You know, and 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 no one's no one's put him in jail. No, Jordan Peterson is not in jail. No. Yeah, no. And I don't know what what all the the situations are with him. Many people do not like Jordan Peterson for this stance. This the thing that Peter's talking about right now. And they really hate him for yeah. it. And and by the way, Jordan Peterson. Um, his main issue with it is he believes uh, his main issue is that he believes the government should not be able to regulate people's speech. So that's the main reason why he's opposing this. It's not from a religious standpoint. Do you guys understand that? So Jordan Peterson isn't saying like, I believe that God created man and woman distinctive. And I believe we need to uphold that as a society, right? That's not his stance. His stance is simply the government should not be able to control what people say. Um, and he said it's basically saying that's a slippery slope, uh, because if you control what people say, you control information. If you control information, then you control power. Does that make sense? So he's saying that you shouldn't be able to do that for, for a Christian. And this is really important for a Christian. We have to understand that we, when we uphold the, the views of the Bible, we're upholding things that, um, are only for us. Does that make sense? And this is, okay, let me, let me explain that a little bit better. For a Christian, what we believe is we believe that we are saved by grace through the power of God's Son in our lives. And we believe because we've been saved and we, because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the power to change and to become more Christ-like. You guys understand that? But we believe that people who are unsaved lack the power to change. Or, or let me put it another way. When we came to know Christ or when Christ came to know us, the knowledge of the true and living God was restored in us where we, 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 our knowledge of God started happening where we now started seeing things the way God has dictated them. Does that make sense? Where people that don't know Christ, the Bible calls them blind. They don't have that knowledge. They have knowledge, but like Eve, the knowledge that she had of good and evil, the knowledge brought a, a moving away from the truth of God, meaning the knowledge of the tree of good and evil did not bring her closer to God, right? She, she got knowledge. She got extra knowledge from eating of the fruit, but it brought her away. And so the world takes knowledge, the knowledge that it has, and it moves away from God because of the sinful inclinations of mankind. But through Christ, there's a restoration of knowledge. Does that make sense? Where we start now, we, we come to Christ and we go, whoa, dude, now I'm starting to see things different. Holy moly. You know, I start, I'm starting to love people. Why? Because Jesus loved me. You know, you're starting to see things different. You're having a, a, you have a new knowledge, Right? And, and that's a restoring work of God bringing us back to Genesis chapter 2 to where we had the, the knowledge of God. Does that make sense? It was distorted in chapter 3 and it's continually being distorted until Christ comes and restores knowledge. 
back to man. Okay, so 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 when Peter's saying people in like this knowledge is for us, it's because the only way you can get um, God's knowledge is from God. You you can't get it from mankind. It has to be something the Bible is saying. It's a spiritual work. It's spiritual discern. The Bible is spiritually discerning. It's got to be spiritually given to you. Um, this kind of knowledge. That's right. And so because of that, it would be ethically wrong for me to put the Christian standard of morality on an unbelieving world. Do you guys get that? Because either A, I'm putting a standard on them that they would never be able to fulfill in their flesh, which is the whole point of the gospel, right? What man couldn't do in the flesh, the Son of God did for us in the flesh that we might be the righteousness of God. Do you guys get that? That we could never live up to these standards, and that's why Jesus came. So for me to look at the world who doesn't even know God and say, you must live up to my standards of righteousness is unjust because they can't do it. Now, the second thing that it does is you could look at different religions. And I've mentioned Islam in the past because I've had up close and personal. I've lived in a country that's under Sharia, meaning they follow the dictates of the Quran to a T. And what I'll tell you guys is that they agree with this. Does that make sense? Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Muslims, they agree that men and women are distinctive. They believe in gender roles. They believe homosexuality is wrong. Are they saved? No. Following ethical decrees does not make you saved. Now, here's the big danger. If you slip into a belief that following commandments saves you, it leads into what we've been talking about, legalism which not only separates you further from God because it starts to make you think that you don't need a savior, which is really bad. But the second thing is, is it does make you bigoted and intolerant to other people. Okay, meaning for me, I can't really be intolerant to other people. And the reason why is because I believe that I'm just as fallen and sinful as anybody else. The only difference between me and them is I've been forgiven. Do you guys get that? So I can't look at someone who's trans or someone who's homosexual and be like, I'm better than you. Because guess what? I'm not. I'm sexually perverse as well. I'm just sexually perverse in different ways. And God needs to show grace and forgiveness to me just as much as he needs to show it to that person. Right? Where bigotry comes from is it comes from the belief that I am inherently better than you because I follow this. Do you guys get that? That's why people go, and that's why it's, it, it has led to this idea where I could look at the culture and I could see where they're going and I could say, I understand why you're going that way. And in a way, I agree with you to a certain extent because I've seen, you know, you can see how people have really jacked up people through religiosity. Does that make sense? Where if I look at someone who's gay or someone who's trans and I start using slurs against them and making fun of them, have I given them an ability or capacity to change? All I've done is condemn them before God that they may or may not even believe in, made myself feel better about who I am, and then at the same time made them feel terrible about, about who they are and doubt their humanity. Right? And it also leads to people trying to change without the power of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that there's a, a lot of people who've tried to change their homosexual tendencies or, their, or transgender tendencies, believing like, oh, I could do this just through willpower. 
And what it's led to is a lot of negative things like repression and even increased amounts of suicide. Because essentially what people have done, especially if they grow up in the church, right? So they grow up in the church where people tell them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. They don't have a saving relationship with God, but they feel like in order to fit into the culture that I was born into and the family I was born into, I must deny the desires that I have and live a life that I don't even agree with. And so they deny, oh, I'm not gay, even though they are. They have those tendencies and they have those desires. Or, oh, I'm not trans, even though they want to, even though no matter how much they push it down, they still want to do it. Does that make sense to you guys? And it leads to greater damage to them. Where what the Bible says is that, like, essentially what happens is that my sexuality cannot be redeemed until I submit it to who? To God. Until I look at God and say, God, you're my Lord and my Savior. And out of the abundance of grace that you've shown me and the forgiveness that you've given to me, can you help me to submit my sexuality to you? And I have to do that every single day because I have desires that go against God's will for my life. Do you guys get that? Every day I have to do that. For someone, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with. If you do struggle with trans tendencies or you do struggle with homosexual tendencies, you must every day submit those to God, recognizing that they're there. You're not repressing them. By repression, I mean you're telling yourself they're not there. You're accepting that they're there, but you're seeking the power of God to not act on them. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Right? Now, that's, that's a very different thing. And the only type of person who could do that is someone who understands their place in God. They understand that these things don't affect or impact my identity. They don't impact my value system. That I'm not looking at people who struggle with these things and saying, you're less human than I am. Because they're not. They were made in the image and likeness of God just as I was. And for them, Christ died as well, just as he did for me. I'm not inherently better than them. I'm not inherently greater than them. They have sin just like I do. It's just different than mine. Does that make sense to you guys? I think I think practically, you know, growing up... Um, you know, I've always, um, because I have grew up in Southern California, I've always had uh, a really motley crew, which just means colorful um, group of people that I've always been around. And, you know, and sometimes I wonder, like, for you guys, like, what have you been around? Um, what are you comfortable around? Um, do you find it difficult to be around certain people than other people? Um, and Why? Is it difficult for you? And, and those are questions that are good to ask yourself. You know, what makes it difficult for me to be around these people, this group, this type of people? Um, it brings up a lot of our own insecurities when we ask those questions. We start going, wow, I didn't know I was a racist. Wow, I didn't know I was this. Wow, I didn't know I was that. Um, most of you in this room would think that you're not racist, but I hate to tell you that some of you are. And if you look in your heart deep enough and you challenge your heart before God, you're going to find something lurking in there that is really not good. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy how that works. Um, and so, 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 like it's important as Christians that we kind of ask ourselves those questions and we kind of evaluate it with the Lord and say, hey, Lord, help me to, to deal with some of these things in my own heart. 
um, as far as why maybe there's a divider in my own life with these kind of people. So maybe I try to avoid them uh, or, you know, that kind of thing or, um, and that happens a lot, you know, especially on a college campus, you know, you got LGBTQ, you know, you got something like that. That's kind of, it, it makes a separation already, right? It has a distinct group kind of separates itself from the rest of the crew, right? It's kind of like when you're, you're watching cable television, right? And you go to on demand and it says like, you know, movies, TV, network, um, something else, black TV. You're like, what is this about? Right? It's like, we're not racist, but we're racist. It's like, we don't want, we want to be treated equal, but we're not. Right? There's all these, these weird things that happen just regularly in our life where you, if you look at it, you go, then why do they got to make a distinction like that? Is there white TV? Is there brown TV? Is there a purple TV? I mean, what, what, I mean, why do we have to make distinctions, right? What is, what is, is there, is there something? Yeah, there's issues. People have issues. People want to make distinctions. And I have to ask the question always as a Christian, you know, and Jesus challenges me all the time with it is like just as he does the people of his day why did he go through jericho to hang out with a woman on the well why why did he go through those areas where the samaritans were why did he go through those areas people were because they hated him the jewish people hated the samaritan people the jewish people were racist that's why he was trying to break down the wall and say man there's no distinction and that's what Peter's getting at. There's no distinction. We're all in the same boat. You know? But what's in you guys? He's talking to a woman at the well, right? They're all bummed. They're all tripping out. Why? Because he's talking to a female. Right? That was another issue with them. They weren't just bigots and not just racist. They were misogynist. Right? They looked down on women. That's what the disciples were like. And Jesus is always saying, no, no, guys, look at your heart. When kids come up to, the, to Jesus to hang out with them, what do the disciples do? They go, get those kids away from Jesus. He's got much more important things to do. And Jesus says, no, dude, you guys are wrong. Not only are you racist, not, all, not only are you misogynist, but also you oppress children. Child labor laws didn't come into effect till much later on in life. You guys know that right? Children have been oppressed forever. <clears throat> and he says, no. See, Jesus is always challenging us as human beings and saying, what's, what's going on with you? You know, why are you making a distinction? Why can't you talk to that person who's in the store that's gay? Why can't you talk to that person who's trans? What's wrong with you? You know, where you got something in your heart, you know, yeah, we might know what we call the truth. But does the truth make us go, you know, hey, we, does it make us not love? Is that what the truth does? Or does it make us love in a way where we just go, hey, we're not going to be, we're not going to ever talk to you. Does that sound like Jesus? Does he, did he knew the truth? Yeah, he claimed to be the truth. And did he, 
did he walk away from people who didn't think the way he thought? No, he engaged. The only type of people that Jesus walked away from were the bigots, right? Yeah. Were the people who thought that they were better than were other religious people. people religious who people. Thought they had, who thought they were doing the right thing. And that's the problem is, you know, it's like that's the scary part is I'm part of a church. So when I get to the place where I think I'm doing the right thing, at that point, I'm probably doing the wrong thing. At that point, I could be very well in the wrong spot, you know? So sometimes the most most shakiest ground can be the most faithful producing ground for us, you know? Right, where, you know, in, in essence, you know, when we think about, like, how would you share the gospel with someone who's trans or how would you share the gospel with someone who's gay, it's like there, there shouldn't be a distinction, so both saying, like, it's not like if I go up to someone who's straight, I'm just like, hey, you could receive the gospel now. And then I go up to someone who's gay and like, stop being gay. And then I could share the gospel with you. Yeah, just like you, know? you wouldn't, hopefully, with someone who's on the Indian tribe, the Pasquayaki. If you met someone from Pasquayaki, you wouldn't do something different. Or just because someone has, um, you know, Asian blood in them, you know, like you. Or someone who's got French-Canadian blood like me. Uh, you know, but you guys get the, get the drill. Um, you know, we wouldn't have those things but there are distinctions that that we do have so we have to look at those things and we have to uh, not just the distinctions but the uh the way we think about those distinctions right where you know the passage that i just went to was uh speaking very critically about racism was galatians chapter 2 and in galatians chapter 2 peter the apostle peter refused to eat with gentiles who which in that culture was one of the greatest insults you could pay someone was refusing to eat with them and Paul says he's got a, uh, I'll just read it for you. In verse 14, it says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, and just keep that phrase in, in your minds, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Now, this is what he's saying. He's saying, when I make a distinction like that, when I look down my nose on somebody and say, they are worse than me, I am basically destroying the gospel. Because what I'm saying, in essence, is I'm saying, I am more saved than you because of the way I behave. And what Paul is saying is that we're all equally damned before God, and we all equally need a Savior before God. And when we make distinctions like this, we're saying that some people needed the cross more than others, and that is heresy. Now, let me, let me uh, put this in perspective for you guys. There was a, a pastor, I think, answered this question great, where he was like in front of like a, a liberal college. I can't remember which college, but he just allowed them to ask him questions. And one of the questions they asked him is, how can you believe in a loving God that sends people to hell just for being gay? And his answer was so good. He's like, I don't believe in a God who sends people to hell because they're gay. I believe in a God who's sending everybody to hell because we all rebel against him. He's like, you, the, the question assumes that the default setting for mankind is to go where? Heaven, but then because you're gay, God says no. Right? Where and, the Bible and, says... And, the, and, and, it's a, and the question's actually affirming salvation by works. That's right. The question affirms a gospel that we don't even believe. That's right. And he said, like, he said, you're, you're mistaken. He says, God is separating himself from all of humanity because all have sinned. 
And the only person who's going to heaven is the person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for them on the cross. Yeah. The right? reason why the world is the way it is is because God has abandoned the planet. That's right. That's <laughs> right. You know, it's true. It's a sad truth, but it is true. And There's only one rescue mission, man. <laughs> and he died on a cross. That's right. And so when someone becomes saved, then we can start talking about what in their life is displeasing to God. But again, we all have a lot in our lives that are immoral before God and that need to change, right? There is no person in this room or any room that can say, oh, I gave my life to God and I'm good, right? Being straight didn't save me, right? Embracing my gender didn't save me. Being American didn't save me, right? Getting married and waiting till marriage did not save me, right? These things None of them made me more righteous before God. The only thing that made me righteous before God is when I said to Jesus, I need a Savior. Right? I'm fallen and I'm wicked and I need someone to forgive me. And I believe in what you did for me on the cross. That's the only righteousness that I have. And that's the knowledge that we get back to Genesis 2. That that's is right. the knowledge we gain. That's right. That's the knowledge. That's right. So when you, when you have this knowledge, the cool thing is, is, is what, what I hope you guys get out of tonight is it gives you the ability and capacity to engage with your culture, right? Because it enables you to talk to people about these things, about these tricky issues, and to talk to them about it in such a way where you're upholding the truth of the gospel without falling into Phariseeism or legalism of feeling superior to them because of your actions. Remember, it's easy to know if we're going into legalism because legalism separates does that make sense? Legalism separates with, in a self-righteous way. So we can always know when we fall into legalism because it's always like we start just like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go that direction. We have something, something about them that we somehow have that vibe. We, don't, we don't, aren't comfortable going in there. And if we really get down to why we're not comfortable, we always go, well, because I don't like the way they live. You know, and... And then we have to really look at us and go, hey, okay, what's going on? And like I said, there always needs to be self-examination. We could compromise, too, by going the other direction. You can, you can get so involved in a group, right, where you start compromising your faith, where you're compromising the gospel because you're just getting so involved in something. And you have to ask the question and do some examination there, too, and say, hey, you know, where, where am I at now? You know, so we can we can go to the both sides, right? We can go to licentiousness, which is getting too involved, or we can get into legalism, which is separation. Yeah. Yeah. So next week we'll get into the specifics of gender, um, meaning the, the gender roles that God has given us. What what are the specifics of the gender roles? How do they work? Um, but do you guys have any questions about the stuff we talked about tonight? Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What's up, Jay? Yeah. Right, right. No, that's an excellent question, man. So essentially what, where we go to in the Bible to understand that is Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. And what those sections of Scripture basically tell us is they tell us that everybody, Christian and non-Christian, were under laws and governances of man that we must respect. So we have a government, and we have, if you have a job, you have a little work government. You have a boss that you function underneath. And so it's wrong for me to uphold someone to the standards of Scripture, but it's correct for me to uphold someone to the laws of the land. Does that make sense? 
So I can't look at someone if, if I find out from one of my friends that he say raped someone, I can't be like, well, it's wrong for me to really judge him because, you know, we're all sinners and, you know, like he doesn't know the Lord. Right. There's a law in this country that would judge him for that. And so it's OK for me to call the police and to allow the government to judge him. Does that make sense? But it's wrong for me to look at him and say, you shouldn't do this because of God, right? Because he doesn't know God. Right? He doesn't have a relationship with God. Um, but it's okay for me to allow him to be held to the standard of the government. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So when it comes to your job, I mean, it would be great if that person gave their life to the Lord and said, like, yeah, I want to do this because I want to glorify God. But if they're not there, then it's like, you should want to do this because this is what our boss needs us to do, and you're going to get fired if you don't, right? Like, you, you've made a commitment to this job, and it's okay to do that. Does that make sense? Cool.